Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Impact Is Own podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I am your host, Brendan Shabath, alongside my wonderful, handsome, beautiful beat reporting partners, Michael Markoch and Luca Maloney. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, and Luca, perhaps no better time if you're a Michigan State fan to, for us, record this podcast and as fans listening to listen. Michigan State on a seven-game win streak right now as we head into the 2023 chapter of this season. Uh, This team has been really good lately. Yeah, they've been good, and they proved it in the last game against Wisconsin. They proved it at home against Michigan. It's a tough road win to win at Wisconsin. Uh, Cole Center, not an easy place to win. Uh, Madison is not an easy place to play at all. So, you know, props to them for, you know, coming back in that fourth quarter, getting good shots. Uh, Turnovers were a problem, as we talked about before, but we'll get into that as we go into it. Michael, what did you see? I mean, I saw a lot of the same thing. I mean, again, they might have caught a break in Madison. Students aren't back on campus yet. They're not returning until next week. Um, so it wasn't the same Cole Center environment. But a- Any way to get exactly, a Big Ten road win. Exactly. Yeah. Wins are wins in Madison. And on the road like that, the, the way that they battled through that game, and you touched on it, Luca, with the turnovers, but just it felt like with about five minutes to go in that game, it felt like Michigan State was going to lose that game. I mean, it really did. And they ended up pulling it out. A.J. Hogarth had a phenomenal few minutes. I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, overall, it's been impressive. Just the the two, the three Big Ten wins they've had, focusing, taking care of business against a Nebraska team that's probably near the bottom of the Big Ten once again. Obviously, the rivalry game against Michigan to kind of grind out a low-scoring game in that one. And then the win in Madison was just phenomenal for them. And how about that's back-to-back years with a win in Madison. And obviously, you look at the seven-game win streak, and Michael, the thing I wanted to ask you first is seven games is seven games, and three of them are in the Big Ten, which is a big deal, but also... Four non or, or four of them are in the Big Ten. Three in a row, though, in the non-conference with Brown, Oakland, and Buffalo. Those don't exactly stand out as big wins, but in the fashion that Michigan State won those games, where it seemed like they did everything they were supposed to do, um, it, it does, I think, kind of instill some confidence. And this is a team right now who hasn't been ranked. They've re- been receiving some votes. It's usually in the last few polls that I've checked anywhere from like 8 to 15 votes to be in the top 25. You need a lot more than that to actually crack it. Um, but they're going to get some more after this Wisconsin win. We'll see how they fare against Illinois coming up as we're recording here on a Thursday, that game tomorrow night at the State Farm Center in Champaign. Um, but despite the three non-conference wins against lesser opponents, Big Ten wins are Big Ten wins, and there's no nights off. It has to feel good watching this team and the way they've been playing to gut out some of these wins. Yeah, and I think throughout the last four games, of course, those are the games that we've seen Malik Hall come back. I mean, they're just they're such a different team when he's out there, and he just has such a presence, and it isn't exactly what he's doing in the box score. Obviously, that game against Buffalo, he kind of lit it up in the points department, but really, he's just been all around sound, and he's been more of the leader on the court that we've seen so far throughout these four games, but I think in Big Ten play, as you just hit on, Brendan, like all wins are good wins, especially ones on the road, and at Madison is is always been a house of horrors for this team for a while. Now you're going to the State Farm Center somewhere there. They've always kind of been back and forth. You got trips to Assembly Hall and Mackey coming down the chute. They're gonna have to go to Columbus as well. Um, it, it's just all around like they've looked like a team that can contend to actually win this league. I think, and that was something that I think all three of us in our first episode said no chance. Like they're not going to win this league, but with the way the Big 10 is, as you know, as Tom Izzo says, 
it's not necessarily as elite as it's always been with those really you know cream of the crop top tier teams but everybody is good everybody can be everybody and i think that bodes well for a michigan state team that went through that schedule in october and november they're battle tested and they're ready for this right and we'll get into the big 10 discussion a little bit later into the episode moving back to wisconsin luca you know we were all watching that game from home um, and for me personally, I, I'm wondering how you felt, and it seemed like in the group chats that I was talking to and the people at the time that I was watching with, Carter Gilmore for Wisconsin makes a three to put them up 57-52 with just over five minutes left. And the way that game had gone back and forth, Michigan State wasn't able to retake the lead but was within a possession, and, and then they got stopped, and then Wisconsin came down and got that score – when that three went through, I thought the game was over. I said, you know, it, it's a home crowd. Wisconsin's fired up. They're going to win this game based on that three alone. They'll be able to ride this to an eight-point victory or something like that. But the fight from Michigan State to come back, what was your perspective on that little five-minute comeback in the end? Yeah, so uh, right after that three that you mentioned, I still thought, I was like, they're not out of this. You know, I read the group chats as well, and a lot of people are saying, all right, game's over, game is done. But I was like, no, I was like, there's five, four minutes left on the clock. I was like, let them play it out. Um, and eventually they did. It was that big three from Joey Hauser right there, I think, at the two, three-minute mark that turned the tide right away. It it put Michigan, it didn't put Michigan State necessarily ahead in the big margin, but you could see that confidence rolling in. They were doing a great job right there at the end, taking care of Chucky Hepburn, uh, forcing some missed shots. You know, Stephen Crowell was difficult to play against for the big the big men in Michigan State's box. But either way, Michigan State came out on top in a game where they, in the past, they could have easily folded. And now remember, this is a Wisconsin team that was without their leading scorer and second-best rebounder, Tyler Wall, for the second year in a row in that game in Madison where Tyler Wall didn't play against Michigan State. But I, I think... And this is kind of what I wanted to get into, is if we're going to talk about how this Michigan State team has been able to win seven in a row and seven in the fashion that they have in convincing ways, I think in all seven games, we have to absolutely discuss the two H's, A.J. Hogard and Joey Hauser. Um, and you look at Hogard, you know, we talk about that three that Gilmore hit to put Wisconsin up by five. The next play was that, saucy Hogard one-handed zip pass to Sissoko for the dunk um, to put Michigan State right back. A pass like that. I mean, you know, it, I remember uh, I remember a few years ago watching the Fab Five documentary, and um, it was right around the time, you know, in the 90s of the hip-hop revolution and pop culture and stuff like that. And uh, the, the ESPN directors interviewed Ice Cube for that documentary. You know, and he was making fun of like old white dudes when they played basketball. They'd get excited about a bounce pass and stuff. And the Fab Five were out here dunking, and that made them excited. But that pass does get your team excited that AJ Hogarth have. And I feel like with all the zip that was on, it just came this wave of momentum that got them back. And then Josie, Joey Hauser hits the go ahead three. Michael, you look at AJ in the last seven games almost 13 points per game, seven assists, and a almost five assist-to-turnover ratio. Tom Izzo talked about it. He benched him against Northwestern. The next seven games are the seven in a row that they've won, and that's how good he's been in those seven. Benched him against Northwestern, at least to start. He still played in that game and actually played pretty well. But sat against Northwestern from the starting lineup because Izzo wanted to reiterate to him, I need you to be the leader, the head of the snake. 
he's been the head of the snake, and maybe a th- it's a three-headed snake with just how good Hogarth has been. Now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he's shooting the ball from the free throw line. He's doing decent from the field, scoring, passing, and limiting the turnovers. He hasn't had more than two turnovers, I think, in over a month, almost a month. I think. I think the last one was uh, maybe. The game before Northwestern, I think. I forget who it was. The game before Northwestern, I think he had three turnovers. But he's just been phenomenal. Yeah, and I think the last two games have really stood out to me for Hogard in this regard because it's not something I necessarily noticed right away against Michigan, but then seeing it again against Wisconsin, his ability to close out games right now is what's helping Michigan State win basketball games. Because we talked about it again on the first episode, who's going to be the closer for this team? Who's going to step in when it's needed? And they again, you go through that stretch where Malik Hall was out, so you didn't really have him to do it. A.J. Hogard's been taking in that role, and he's been relishing in it. And when they need a bucket late, it's put the ball in the hands of A.J., and either he drives and he passes like he's so great at, or he's confident enough right now to take whatever shot is given to him. I mean, yeah, the, that last shot against Wisconsin, the, like the, bounce around the, the rim. spin yeah, around yeah. that he banked off the glass. Yeah. I mean, he's going against a bigger defender, and he knew they needed a bucket, and he just went for it. That's the, Those are the kind of shots that would have got A.J. benched last season exactly. because he would have missed them. Um, and he's his confidence has grown, and his ability just as a basketball player, he's gotten better. But, yeah, you're certainly right. I mean, the shots that he's taking now, some of the threes we're seeing him go up with quickly, some of the drives, and they're, they're the shots that Tom Izzo is okay with at this point in Hogard's career. That shot against Michigan, uh, it, they Michigan comes out for the second half. They're in a 2-3 zone, and they – Swing it around the top, and Michigan leaves Hogarth open because, like, oh, he's not going to shoot this. He fakes the pass to the right, pulls up, hits the three. Michigan never ran the zone again. I mean, it's shots like that. We haven't seen him take those in, in since he's been here. Right. And those are the shots that Tom Izzo wants him to take. As he said, he says it after every game. Like, oh, AJ only took you know one bad shot today, and he knows about it. But like you see it, his confidence is just. It's overflowing right now because then he's starting to go in and take those bad heat check type shots of like, AJ, what are you doing? But I like that. And again, late in the game, you put the ball in his hand and I think Tom Izzo has full confidence that AJ is going to make the right decision in that moment every time. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is that AJ is playing like the most intelligent player on this team. And that's exactly what Tom Izzo wanted for him for a long time. Be the smarter player, be the smarter guard, and the game will flow right through him. And I think part of it, too, and what I think we have already seen glimmers of and we're going to see in the future is there was the conversation last year at the start of the season with who was going to be the starting point guard. Was it going to be Tyson Walker or was it going to be A.J. Hogard? And nobody really uh, entertained the idea that it could be both of them. Um, And... I think with what we saw AJ or not not AJ excuse me Tyson with what we saw Tyson do and his ability to score last year and what we've seen this year his ability to shoot the ball at a high percentage I think the idea here and what in my opinion and I'll I'll let you guys decide is the right strategy at least Obviously, you want your point guard to be the leader and the guy who makes smart decisions and doesn't turn the ball over. Point guards naturally turn the ball over more than anybody else on the team, though, just because it's in their hands more. But you want them to limit the turnovers for a, from a point guard perspective, and A.J. really has done that with one of the best assist-to-turnover ratios in the country. But Walker is a point guard, too, but we don't see Walker passing the way that A.J. has is and has been asked to by Izzo. And I think the plan here is let A.J. run the point be the mainstay there, 
and you work Tyson off the ball. And we're seeing it a lot, you know, Tyson getting open on curls off the ball, taking shots quickly. We're almost seeing Walker kind of shift into this, like, typical shooting guard role where it's off-ball screens, catch-and-shoot, catch-and-drive, and it's working, and I think it's only going to get better. Tyson seems to operate well in that scenario, and he also has the point guard background where he can still feel comfortable with the ball in his hand, still split a double team, still run an offense for a possession or two if need be, run the offense while Hogard gets a four-minute rest, whatever it is. And I love that strategy right now. I think those two play so well together. Um, and with Hogard running the point and Walker being the two-guard, it works really nicely. Yeah, and I think it works nicely as well because Tyson Walker is an incredible defender against the point guard and against the two-shot shooter on the opposition's team you know Tyson like you said can spot up he can shoot the catch and shoot catch and drive and you're just seeing a bigger uh, dimension of Tyson Walker's game while AJ Hogarth is still being that point guard distributor of the ball yeah and I think one of MSU's favorite actions that they love to run on offense is that the the, they run the double screen with Maudie where he comes and gets someone, say it's Tyson Walker. Then he kind of fakes the roll and then goes down and gets Joey, who then comes around the curl. In the corner. Um, and they can do that now with Tyson off the ball. And even you could put the ball in his hands and do it as well with kind of the off-ball screen as well. Get Tyson kind of coming off the screen, then have Joey coming around. But, I mean, that they love that action. And with Tyson, it's even more impactful because you know he's going to knock down those shots when he comes around if he's open. And, I mean, it helps Joey get better shots, helps Maudie get better looks down low. And it makes life a lot easier for Hogard to make it simpler and make those passes easier to execute. And in speaking of Joey Hauser, I feel like everybody who is hearing our voices right now has their own opinion of Joey Hauser, wherever they stand. And I'd also be willing to bet that opinion has changed four, five, maybe even six times. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> in my opinion now, there is no denying the success that Joey Hauser has had and how important he is to this team in more areas than one. In the seven-game win streak, he's averaging 14 points per game, nine rebounds. He's shooting almost 40% from deep and had three double-doubles. He's had some off nights and came back with a double-double. Had some off nights. Um, uh, you know, He had an off night against Michigan and came back well against Wisconsin. And, you know, He hit that big three. And the thing, too, for me about the off nights for Joey Hauser is there. there's only been three this year. Two of them have come in the seven-game win streak, though. But all of the misses are just darn close. And for a shooter that is so important to this offense and shoots at the rate that Hauser does, he gets some of the most shots on this Michigan State team, that's what you want if he's going to be off. At least the misses are close. Obviously, there was the air ball against Michigan, and everybody was air balling in that game. But... The way he shoots the ball right now is so good, and there just absolutely is no denying the importance that Joey Hauser has to this team. I know it's a defensive-focused team, and that's the the uh, kind of cornerstone that Tom Izzo has built his program on, and Hauser is still behind in that category compared to some of the other players. But, Luca, you've been a big Joey Hauser guy, it seems like, most of his career here since you've been following um He's the straw that stirs the drink that's Michigan State right now. Yeah, I mean, everybody on that team loves him. Uh, you know, the fans who don't love him, I don't think, understand him very well. And, I, you know, I wrote an article about this, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, earlier last, um, earlier in December, that uh, Joey really is, when he's working, he works, man. 
Uh, they call him the flamethrower for a reason. You know, throughout his three years at Michigan State, Joey Hauser is averaging 46% from the floor and almost 38% from deep. You know, the volume of shots that he's taken in this year alone is significantly higher than the previous three years that he's had here at Michigan State. Um, arguably, you know, he is the most important piece on this team when he's fully healthy. And I think the the big thing, too, is his confidence and his stamina. Um, you know, you mentioned him being fully healthy. There were times last year where we could see Hauser get gassed and it would start to affect obviously the defense, but yeah, also his shot. The, yeah. the decision making is the biggest part. And and he has been so much better in that regard. And, and, and Izzo has talked about it. He's in the best shape of his life. He puts so much focus on the offseason about keeping his body uh, up to the level that it needs to be, and it has translated to the best basketball player Joey Hauser has ever been in his life. And I think it's safe to say this season, I don't know how many people would disagree, Joey Hauser is the MVP of this Michigan State team this year, right now. I mean, it's... I would say it might be close with a couple other players, but right now he's pulling away. Because even as you touched on, Brendan, even on the 19, he didn't shoot well. He goes out for a double-double still and doing other things. It's the rebounding. It's the passing the ball. He realizes, oh, my shot's not falling tonight. Let me facilitate for everyone else. Let me go attack the boards offensively, too. You know, that's what he did against Michigan. Yeah. You know, the shot wasn't falling for him at all, and he got 10 yeah. rebounds. Yeah, and yeah. I think also with when it comes to Joey, we know that the centers are... It it's a mixed bag every night. You really don't know at all what you're going to get between those three. And when foul trouble presents itself, Joey Hauser's willing to step in and take on those assignments. He had the Dickinson assignment against Michigan quite often, and he held his own pretty well, and that's not something we've seen from Joey the past few years, stamina-wise, confidence-wise, whatever. But he has it going on all around right now, and he's, like I said, he's the MVP of this Michigan State team right now. It wouldn't be an Impact His Own podcast if... I personally wasn't a pessimist about something with this team, and those that have listened the last two years that have been this on this podcast certainly know that. So it does mean a lot when I'm out here saying that this team looks really good, um, because I will always uh, take the the back roads of trying to find what's wrong the with devil's just a, advocate. Yeah, just know, just about every team, um, and so in that regard, let me ask you guys this, and I'm throwing this one on you guys. This isn't planned. Where is Pierre Brooks? Yeah, yeah, probably still in Portland. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like that's the last it's, time we've seen him play well. La- you know, Jaden came back into this team, and uh, Pierre Brooks struggles to get minutes off the bench. You yeah. know, and and yeah, he's come in in the last few games, especially you know against uh you know those late December you know games against Buffalo, Oakland. He comes in. He had four, makes he had makes, a, makes one shot and then you know you don't see him for the rest of the game. He had four minutes last night against Wisconsin, or which two is, nights ago, which sorry. is insane to me because he was a big part of and that. Like uh, all in the first half too. Yeah, he was a big part of that project when Aikens and Hall were out for you know about a month or so. Mm-hmm. You know, he got good minutes. He had good looks. There were some games he played really well, but once that stopped, it, it you know. Everything stopped. And everybody knew that Brooks was going to lose minutes, not only when Aikens came back, but when Hall came back too. But in the the fashion that he played in Portland and the level that – and he started a lot of those games, but it seemed like he would start and not really do much and then sit. And then that second time around, he'd come in, boom, three. Yeah. Two possessions later, boom, three. And all of a sudden there's this quick spark for the offense in those games – if you're a bench guy now, like like where did that go? Michigan State could be even better than they are, and like we said, that they're competing for the top of the Big Ten right now. They're they're tied for first at four and one, but 
Purdue is Purdue, and they're going to need that spark, that extra boost of 8, 10 points if they can find it against a team like Purdue from an unexpected player. There's no better candidate, in my opinion, for that than Pierre. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you need that spark off the bench, and Pierre Brooks can be that guy. You know, you're struggling, you you know, you're down by six. You get a guy who can get you back in, in between three-point uh, deficit, and then, boom, you're suddenly back in this game. And he was given some of the best defensive assignments when we were in Portland covering those games. He's one of their better wing defenders. Yeah, he's just so lengthy and just so big. I mean, he can guard probably one through four right now in college basketball. But I remember that Northern Arizona game. I mean, I was on the call for that game. He was phenomenal that night. I mean— Left corner three, next possession right corner three. I mean, he. I think it was like four of six, I, and then yeah, four of seven, fourteen yeah. points, and then it just went away, and then we just didn't really see much from him. And then since we saw, obviously, he showed up late to something, and he, you know, and he got benched, and it's just, it always seems to be something right now with Pierre, and you know, he just hasn't been able to figure out. Just he just doesn't seem to be in a rhythm. The minutes are spotty, like you said, those four minutes, like I touched on. I think they were like almost all in the first half. Didn't even really see him in the second half. And without having him, it puts a lot of pressure on Hogard and Walker to be able to really carry and play those big minutes throughout the day. And it also, like freshmen, like Trey Holloman has to come in and play big minutes and defend at a high level. And Jay Nakins, who's still not back to 100%, he's getting there, but not quite. Like, it just it puts so much pressure on the other guards when you don't have your swing man to kind of get you between them and the guard and the bigs, excuse me. This Michigan State team is just obviously better when Pierre is contributing on both ends of the floor. A team who is shooting well from deep, but not at the clip that they were last year. Brooks can maybe elevate that. But we talked about he loses minutes to Aikens and Hall in their returns. Let's take an injury check on those two. Um, Jaden Aikens is almost back to 100%, it seems like. I feel like we're we're starting to see what we're going to see at a consistent level from Aikens the rest of the year. I don't know if he keeps up the shooting numbers. He's been lights out in the seven-game win streak, 58% from deep in the seven-game win streak. It's not at a volume like Hauser or something like that. But Aikens is a reliable fast break and drive and dish three um, you know, player for Michigan State. Um, he's been good. It's good to see him back to get that stamina level back. I think now the defense is where he's still falling a little bit short and not quite where he needs to be. I think he has the health and the speed, it seems like, um, but now the mind has to come along and be smart defensively and make the right plays. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that you could see from Aikens uh, on the downside of him is that game against Wisconsin. He had those four turnovers, the a, a high for Michigan State players, and it, that just wasn't good. You know, it's 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 a little sloppy when you're getting a guy back in rhythm. And granted, he scored 12 points. You know, and in that first half, he did some incredible shooting, incredible decision making. But you know, as you touched on, Brendan, that mindset has to be there for the long haul. And I think. It, it's tough because what they're asking Aikens to do right now is it's a kind of a three-guard backcourt, and he's kind of playing the quote-unquote three right now. So he's getting matched up with forwards, especially on the defensive end right now. So he's trying to defend guys that are taller than him, that are bigger than him, and can just really back him down. They're going to see that mismatch on Jaden Aikens, and they're going to they're gonna take him to the rack every single time. But, I mean, on the offensive end, Brendan, you've touched on it multiple times throughout our broadcast, but just as the saying goes, being quick but not hurrying. And right now it just feels like he's trying to do 
way too much on offense. He's getting the ball, and he's trying to make all these moves, get by defenders, and then he's losing the handle. Um, he just needs to you know, play within himself and just continue to you know, knock down the shots when they're there, play good transitionally, get to the rack that way. But, you know, if he just can kind of slow the game down now a little bit as he gets closer and closer to 100%, I think you'll see those turnover numbers especially kind of come down and see him be at his best. And that's something that Izzo has talked about more along the lines of, you know, how to come back from the injury. But in the same vein as be quick, don't hurry, is that when you're coming back from an injury, your body is not at the same level that your mind is. And so is always jokes that um, the mind tells the body to do something and the body tells the mind to go to hell. And I think that's kind of where Aikens was at first and now part of the be quick, don't hurry, is his body is back, but he's still trying to go too fast and almost make up for lost time, it feels like, uh, and make the big crazy play, which we have seen him do still. Um, but it, I think you're right, needs to slow it down a little bit and just use the natural speed that he has without so much emphasis on it. Uh, Malik Hall is still working his way back. I think this is perhaps the most obvious like, like and easy to see in plain sight someone coming back from an injury. We know how good Malik Hall is, but you can see that the stamina isn't there, but it's gotten better almost every single game. Um, not quite able to do the things that he could before he got injured. Um, I don't know if you want to call it a setback, but that little ankle roll against Michigan yeah, no, really, it, I, really I didn't look good. It, it didn't have to do with the foot, yeah. but it, it is not good. Yeah, it's no, I think you, you could call it a setback because it was a little nasty to see that ankle nearly touch the floor. And, you know, Izzo touched on it on, on the press conference on Monday before they traveled to Wisconsin. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, Malik was in and out of practice. Yeah, wasn't at 100% with that ankle, but still able to play, you know, and that slows you down. You know, that can't be easy to play through and against, um, you know, but either way, you see the impact Malik Hall has on the floor. Uh, when he has the ball, it seems that, you know, time slows down a little bit and, and the players readjust to his time. Now, the the interesting thing, too, is that I'm wondering where you guys feel Hall is is in his, you know, this kind of road back to the starting lineup. Um, he, he's been back for four games now, hasn't started any of them, um, but has played pretty good minutes um, in a lot of them, um, and, and it's been increased minutes for him in, in those four back. It was 12 against Buffalo, 18 against Nebraska, 23 against Michigan, 27 two nights ago against Wisconsin. So more minutes every single game. Izzo mentioned um, in his presser this week, that he is eyeing Hall to start against Purdue. So it still sounds like he's out of the starting lineup against Illinois coming up tomorrow night. Um, But do you guys think that's too late, too early, just right for him to start against Purdue? Is there something about that game being so big and against such a good team like Purdue that maybe you should or shouldn't start Hall? I'm just wondering where you guys fit. I'm not sure how I feel. I'm kind of like on the fence about that idea, I'd almost want him to get a start maybe against Illinois first uh, in a hostile environment against a tough team before coming home and getting the energy boost. You know, you almost think like being starting and then the energy boost from the home crowd might be almost a little too amped up. I, I agree with you that I'm a little bit hesitant to hear that because I think, especially over these seven you know, the seven-game win streak, the starting lineup has almost been exactly the same. You've seen the three-guard backcourt with Hogard, Walker, and Akins, and then, of course, Hauser and Sissoko. Um, and Malik Hall's kind of blended into that six-man role. 
chemistry is such a overwhelming thing. It's very, very powerful, and especially how you kind of play with the starting five. Some players just play better off the bench. It's just the way that they are. I'm not saying Malik Hall is like that, but to kind of mess with the starting lineup maybe in what's right now going to be your biggest game of the year coming up on Monday, you know, I I don't know if I love that. Um, and obviously it seems like he'd be, you know, him and Akins would be switching places. So now you're bringing Akins off the bench again, which like I said, it's just, it, you're messing with a lot of chemistry potentially there. And I'm not saying that they can't overcome it. It's just, I, I understand where the hesitancy comes from, excuse me. And just the fact that, you know, if he's not up to 100% necessarily and Purdue picks on him a little bit, you don't want to put yourself down in a hole early and be playing, you know, come from behind against a team like that. Luca, you're Tom Izzo. Which game of the next three would you start Malik Hall in? I start Malik Hall tomorrow against Illinois, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, that game against Wisconsin, you know, he did get the game high in minutes so far since he came back from injury, but he was nailing some tough shots as well. Yeah, you know, a couple turnaround fadeaways that, the you know, signature Malik Hall look right on the baseline. I think you need that. I think you need that kind of energy from a guy that has uh, been on the sideline for too long. Um, you know, battling through his injuries, and if he's 100% with his ankle and the foot uh, on Friday, he starts. And I think Hall Hall's a guy who has played well against Illinois uh, ever since he's been at Michigan State. Um, we'll get a little bit more into Illinois uh, later, but it is good to see the progress that Malik Call is making. At, at, it's never been more clear to see a guy get better every single game, it feels like. Yeah, and for him, as we were just touching on kind of with Jaden, but Malik Malik's best quality is his mind and the way that he you know sees the game and his basketball IQ. Just having him on the floor at all and just around the team and letting people you know pick his brain and letting you kind of use his basketball knowledge. I mean that's that's his best trait and I think that he's been able to at least help out in that regard. As I mentioned kind of at the top of the show, but just even though his body isn't there yet, his mind is still as sharp as ever and he's that coach extended on the floor for this team. Before we get into the Illinois preview, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the fantastic conference that is our lovely Big Ten um, and the parody of it this year. This has been perhaps the sh- like one of the strangest years I've ever seen for the Big Ten, um, and Izzo has talked about it. You you referenced it, Michael. It's not that the Big Ten is the best country or the best conference in the country in college basketball as far as elite level status, um, but in second to last in the Big Ten right now is Indiana. And Nebraska, or Minnesota is 0-4 there at dead last. Indiana's 1-4 in conference, and Indiana is a top 25 team in the country, plain and simple. Like, they just are. They've dealt with some injuries, and they've had some other things go on. But we've seen Indiana beat North Carolina. We've seen them play very well uh, in some of their non-conference games this year. Um, they had a big win against Xavier, who's now a top 25 team, one of the better teams in the Big East. Um Looking at this Big Ten, guys, it's it's going to be so much fun, and it's going to lead to chaos at the end of the season, fighting for standings. Right now, Purdue and Michigan State, the only teams at four and one, uh, tied for first. Purdue, obviously, fifteen and one overall on the year. Uh, for a long time, the number one team in the country uh, and one of the only undefeated teams. Um, that they were one of the only undefeated teams left in the NCAA. Michigan is just behind those two at three and one, with their obviously only loss uh, coming at the hands of the Spartans. Rutgers, fourth place in the Big Ten at four and two. Northwestern, 
fifth at three and two, followed by Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, Illinois two and three in conference. They were a top twenty-five team. They beat UCLA on their own floor earlier in the year. Uh, this has just been such a crazy Big Ten. I remember I was watching, you know. Before we got into conference play, there were the two games and then there was the three non-conference, and a lot of schools had that same kind of schedule. Before we got into the second and the real conference play, I looked at the Big Ten and I said, okay, Purdue, for sure. They're there. Indiana's not far behind. Illinois, Maryland, everyone else. That's just wrong now. I mean, it's still Purdue and against the field, I think, but now Michigan State has made their case. Northwestern. Indiana Rutgers. is still you know, and arguably Rutgers. Wisconsin too at at full health. Yeah, and even Ohio State's a team. They're on, right. They're really good. I mean, like we we could list every single team in the conference. I still think Maryland is a yeah. good team. They're just kind of drowning right now and having to search through a, a tough Big Ten schedule. Penn State beat Indiana yeah. last night. Pummeled them. I mean, what what is happening in this conference? It's going to be so much fun, but also so difficult. For someone to be dominant, Michigan State sits at second right now. So let's start with the Michigan State angle. Does this team actually have what it takes and um, the ability to not only win on the road in the Big Ten, but stay close with Purdue and maybe even win the Big Ten regular season against the Boilermakers? I think we will find that out after Monday night, uh, you know, because this is a big road test against Illinois. You come back home on Martin Luther King Day to play Purdue. Those are you're going to finish an extremely tough stretch of games right there, and if you can make it through that, even at least lose one of those two, you put yourself in a much better position than you originally thought you were. I mean, I, I said it earlier. This team absolutely, I think, can compete for the for the Big Ten. I mean, look, we see it every year. I mean, it's a Tom Izzo coach team. They're going to find a way to kind of hang around there at the end. I do think they'll need help. They're going to need Purdue to kind of fall in a few more games in conference play to help them out. I don't see Michigan State, you know, running the table and only having a conference loss or you know, or even two or three. But and but it's just man, it, it's tough because we talked about it. Any team I think can beat anybody. I mean, look, Minnesota's not even all that good, but the barn's a tough place to play. They could catch anybody. Someone's there. going to lose there. And I hate to tell all of our listeners that we kind of told you so, but taking a look at Northwestern, we told you so. Like that's a very very they good team. They just beat Illinois. And it's just And then Indiana. All around like you look at the teams in the middle, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, teams that are very hard to beat in their home buildings and have very good wins in non-conference as well. I just it, it's such an I mean, that's not even talking about Rutgers, who has the only win against Purdue all year. And, and, and Mackey. Yeah. And that's what I was just about to say. <laughs> like, is the biggest um, evidence, I think, if I was to make a PowerPoint you know, in front of the NCAA as to why the Big Ten is the uh, conference in the country with the best parity, the first slide would be that Purdue has one loss and it's at home. Anybody can beat anybody. And, and, you know, one of the questions you would ask is, is who's going to beat Purdue at Mackey this year? Whoever's going to do that is going to put themselves in a good spot. It's already done. Rutgers did it. Now what? Um, so let's do this. Of the – we'll keep Minnesota out of this conversation because they're 0-4 and they have a lot to do. They'll play spoiler to somebody. Minnesota, they're going to beat somebody. Minnesota's not this. competing for yeah. the top of the Big Ten, though. I genuinely think 13 and up – 
past Minnesota. Challenge for top four. It's seriously. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's separate who we think are the legit contenders and those who are going to fall off as the season continues on, those who taper as we move into February. I think by the end of January, we should have a clear picture. Once we're in that first and second week of February, it's going to be obvious who's fighting for those top four um, and for the buys in the uh, Big Ten Conference Championship. I'll start. Purdue is there. Purdue's going to be there the rest of the year. I think Michigan State right now, and it depends if they can get through the next two games, which are part of the three that we're looking at in this three-game stretch, uh, with winning one of them. If they win both of these next two games, Michigan State is competing for a a Big Ten championship um, and perhaps a deep run in March. Um, So I think Purdue is up there. Michigan State, I think, will be in the top four. I look at teams that I think are going to stay and fight for a top four spot. So we're talking about probably six teams here. Um, I genuinely think Northwestern is fighting for a top four spot in the Big Ten this year. I think Wisconsin is as well. That's my fourth team. And then I think Illinois and Maryland are also fighting for a top four. And I still, despite them being at one and four, Indiana's in this conversation. If Indiana can find a way to get healthy before you know, February 10th, you know, they might, I don't know. that the final month. Yeah. yeah, You you know, that the the last six games of the Big Ten season, whatever it is, if they can go on a streak and then win a few in the Big Ten uh, tournament, who knows? But I think those six or seven are locks to be up there at the top four. I see Penn State kind of falling off. I'm not sure if Ohio State has what it takes. That loss to Purdue when they had it right there. I will argue, though, with Ohio State, I think they might have the best freshman in this conference. Like, arguably. I think potentially. Like, Bryce Sensabaugh, that dude is, he's a hooper. Capital H. But I think... I know you're giving me that sly look. That and I might be is, a little biased no, a little no, no, bit. But no, I think, I think, you're, I think he's Sensab- I think Sensabaugh might be the most skilled, but there is something to be said about 15-1 and one Purdue starting Fletcher Lawyer. That's fair. And the shot that he Who hit against Ohio, against Ohio State. Against Ohio State, yeah. which is fair. Um, I agree. And, and so, so, you know, that's a conversation to have, and Michigan State's going to see both of these guys. Um, and boy, that's always a fun matchup, too, Purdue and Ohio State. Those oh, yeah. are always so good. That, that's, that was a really good look at both of those guys, and both of them played well. Yeah. Um, but uh, do you guys see any, anything different from mine? Do, do you think a team like Iowa maybe or a team like Penn State finds their way fighting for a top four spot once this is all said and done? I think two names that you didn't mention in your list, and I agree with the list that you have, but two names in there that we should keep in mind still. I think you should put Michigan into this conversation wow. as well. Wow, you know, that's a surprise. They're not they're not the most incredibly uh, like a juggernaut of a team. Well, right. But look at their schedule. They got Iowa coming up tonight, Northwestern, Maryland, Minnesota, and then they face Purdue in the in a week and a half. I mean, you can argue it's, that should be you, you four can, wins in a row. Yeah, you can argue that should be four wins in a row before going to Purdue, and then you get a then you get another test with Penn State, Northwestern again, and Ohio State. So you know, arguably their schedule favors them a little bit in the stretch of the end of January until the beginning of February. That could put you know, that you could see them higher up in the table. And then the other team for me it, that we can't rule out quite yet is Penn State. I think uh, I think those guys in that team can grind out some wins. Penn State, man, what a, is there an easier team to root for? Jalen Pickett, <laughs> Seth Lundy, Cam Winter, Miles Dread, and of course Micah Shrewsbury. Yeah, yeah Shrewsbury, Micah Schnozberry. Shout out Luke Sloan. <laughs> I mean, what? 
how can you not root for the Nittany yeah. Lions? And it was like the same way a couple of years ago in the COVID season when they were one of the best teams in the country and they were looking to make a deep run yeah. in March. I just I don't know that I don't know that they maintain it. I don't know that it stays, especially. But we can't say that about any almost any yeah, team I, here, but behind Purdue, Michigan State, and possibly Rutgers. That's what makes this fun, though. Yeah, that's and what I, makes it a lot. of And fun. I think I agree with both of you. I think the teams that you guys have all up there are fine. I would switch Penn State and Northwestern. Um, in my opinion, um, Northwestern is one of those teams where they have a lot of great wins, and then the next game they go out and they they lose by twenty at home. Um, they're very confusing to figure out. Um, I think they're going to end up kind of in the middle of the pack as well. Um, Purdue, Michigan State, and Rutgers are probably your top three in the conference this year, I think, in some form or fashion. And I think Wisconsin probably is your fourth right now. Yeah, I would, I, I would argue those are your top four. I To defend your point about Northwestern, four losses this year, 12 wins for them, three of the four losses at home. Mm-hmm. This is the Big Ten. You have to take advantage of your your home court, and now to Purdue's def- or not Purdue Northwestern's defense, that's not a basketball school. I no. I, I, I saw a I have a f- a former high school friend um, who covers Northwestern men's basketball now, and he took a picture of the arena as all of us student journalists do, and journalists in general uh, post on Twitter before the game. You know, tune in wherever, um, and he captioned it. And, you know, a pretty packed crowd here tonight as Northwestern was taking on Rutgers, who they ultimately lost by three two, um, and the student section was full, mm-hmm. but the other seats. I saw a lot of purple, just empty purple. And it's like, you know, you got to fill that arena, man. How do, how can you not want to go it's, watch this team? Boo Booey with exactly. Chase Audige, Robbie Barron, Ty Berry. I mean, like, this is a very fun Northwestern mm-hmm. team. I don't know that there's a more exciting player in the Big Ten. I'd extend it to maybe college basketball than Boo Booey. And who's got a better name? Nobody. Nobody. Conversation ends there. Yeah. And, and, and the Spartan I, killer. And the fact that not only that he's the Spartan killer, it's his final season. The he doesn't. You he do. doesn't have any more chances to show what he is capable of. He's done it a lot already, but he hasn't done it consistently. This is his last opportunity to do so. He's going out with a bang. And to add on to that, with just the world we live in with college athletics right now and the portal and all that, he stayed at Northwestern for four years when I'm sure he could have probably gone and played elsewhere. Yeah, he's yeah. been but there since I was said, in high school. Yeah, but he said, no, I'm going to stay and I'm going to help build this program. And he certainly has done that. He got there just after they made the run to the NCAA tournament. And this year, I mean, he's putting them in position to get there once again. Again, I don't think Northwestern's – they're not a bad team at all, but to compete for top four, I just – I think they got a lot of work to do. In the terms of the that. next two will honestly, for them, they got Michigan and Iowa both on the road. If they win those two, I think they're a lock to be in the top four and, and at least be fighting for that spot. They've done well on the road, but you have to win at home, and they can't keep they they can't keep losing these games at home. Lost to Ohio State, Rutgers. They lose to Pittsburgh at home. Pittsburgh's a sixty fifth ranked team in Ken Palm. Um, but nonetheless, it's sure to be an exciting rest of the Big Ten season. I can't wait to see how it shakes out. These matchups we have coming up with 
Indiana and Purdue and Michigan State and Ohio State. And Michigan's going to do something stupid to be in the conversation, like you said, Michigan Luca. Michigan knows how to win in the Big Ten. They'll be they around do. there, and they're going to be, be annoying. Gritty, and, be. And, and, and I'll be damned if anybody thinks Michigan State is going to go into the Chrysler Center and win that game, <laughs> because since Juwan Howard has been here, neither of those teams have won on the road. And they haven't been particularly it's, close it's, either. It's been, you get one good punch, and I get one good punch each year, and that's it, and, and that's how it will be. The, the road curse is not going to end until these two teams see each other in the postseason again. That's going to be what defines it and breaks it. One team is going to get to eventually win the year, and then we'll go back to someone being able to steal a road win. But right now, no road wins for either team. Let's get into Illinois. That comes up tomorrow night, uh, very shortly for Michigan State, as we are recording here on a Thursday, taking on the fight in Illini down there at the State Farm Center. Um, I believe the tip-off for that is 7 p.m., um, but this is an Illinois team who was 11 and five on the season. They're in the top 25 uh, on Ken Palm defensively. Uh, they picked up a much needed win against Wisconsin at home. Uh, and, and now a Wisconsin team that's kind of in trouble because um, Illinois went to Northwestern and lost when people were unsure what Northwestern was still. Northwestern kind of proved themselves. That was a big program win for the Wildcats this season. Um, Illinois does have a couple bad losses to go along with the Northwestern one. They lost to Penn State at home. That was right after, I believe, beating Maryland or uh, UCLA. Yeah, that was right after... They they beat Texas. They beat, they beat Maryland. Then the way they lost to Maryland, then beat Texas. They beat Texas, who at the time was number two in the country. Illinois beats them eighty five seventy eight on a neutral floor. Then loses seventy four to fifty nine to Penn State at home. Also lost to Missouri on a neutral court. Which, if you're not familiar with Missouri, I don't blame you. They haven't been anything in the past couple of years. They're kind of something this year, maybe. Um, but they're led by their transfers, uh, Terrence Shannon, Jr., who comes from Texas Tech. I'm a Big 12 slappy, and I watched so much Big 12 basketball the last two years. I've watched a bunch this year. I saw so much of Terrence Shannon at Texas Tech. I'm a Texas Tech guy, too. Um, I love Mark Adams and the Red Raiders, um, and Terrence Shannon is so much fun to watch. He comes in right now 18-6 and six per game on 47% shooting. I can't believe Illinois was able to pull him over to the Big 10 to go from that sexy black and red in Texas Tech down there in Lubbock to the weird like blue and orange and champagne Illinois like in the middle of nowhere I don't know what they I don't know what their marketing team did but they got Terrence Shannon here um, and then Matthew Meyer from Baylor 10 points per game four rebounds shooting 35 percent from deep kind of a three and D kind of guy do a little bit of everything uh, this is a weird Illinois team we kind of talked about them a little bit already but I don't know playing in the State Farm Center for Michigan State hasn't gone well in previous years, but I think since like us, since our age kids have been in college, we're four seniors right here, Michigan State has actually done well at the State Farm Center. They've had a couple bad losses, but you remember the COVID season uh, when Cassius Winston and Rocket Watts and Xavier Tillman were able to pick up a win there. You remember last year, that was a close game that Michigan State ultimately lost, um, but they played well, and that was a close Classic Big Ten mid-50s fight. Uh, what do you guys think this one is going to be on Friday, this edition of what is always a, a fun matchup between these two squads? I think we could see something very close to what happened against Wisconsin where you're going to go up against guys that are a very physical, very talented basketball. I mean, you talked about Terrence Shannon. I mean, 
the guy is your ideal guard, you know, in terms of his skill set. I mean, at six six, he's averaging eighteen and uh, what eighteen and six rebounds while shooting almost forty seven percent from the floor. Uh, I mean, you look at those stats, and you know, you want to get on the floor and already bow your knees. Uh, the most important thing for Michigan State, if they want to crank out a win over at Illinois, the turnovers have to be they have to be very disciplined on the turnovers. And in transition, they have to act fast and stay sharp. I think this team for Illinois, if you looked at it and you told me it was a Brand Underwood team, Brad Underwood, excuse me, I would totally believe you. Um, yeah. That's just what they are. Um, they got some great guard play, obviously going from Io to Sunu. Now you go into Terrence Shannon. And then the big play, yeah, you don't have your big overwhelming presence like they've had in Kofi Coburn, but you got two really good forwards. It's a two-headed monster there that both have – I mean, Coleman Hawkins played a lot of minutes last year for Illinois because of Coburn's injuries and foul trouble. And, and those seem to help him now. Yeah. This season, he's been great. Yeah, and, and for Mayer, talk about, I mean, if you want to talk about winning pedigree and if that matters to you, I mean, that dude has it. I mean, winning a national championship at Baylor, being vital in winning that national championship. Yeah. And he was their best player last year, probably, um, if not one of them. So all around, this is just one of those teams, they're really going to grind you out, they're going to play good defense, they're going to make you beat them, they're not going to do much to necessarily give the game away. Michigan State's going to have to come ready to play. Yeah, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot very much, as we've seen with other teams in the past. And perhaps a welcome sight for Michigan State fans watching this game who have watched the previous years. I'm going to give you a couple names who are not on Illinois this year. Kofi Coburn, Andre Corbello, Alfonso Plummer, Trent Frazier, Jacob Grandison. Like, this is a new Illinois team that Michigan State has not seen. They saw Coburn for three years. They saw Frazier for four years. They saw Dosumu for two years. Like, they saw Alfonso Plummer in bunches last year in both of those games. He came in and just lit it up from three. Um, but this is an Illinois team who is in the top 25 in Ken Palm. We mentioned their defense. They shoot the ball from inside the arc, 12th best in the country, 57%. And to make matters worse, they're defending on two-point shots at ninth best in the country. Opponents shooting 42% from two-point uh, against the Illini. That does not mean good things for Michigan State, who is focused on getting to the lane and trying to get to the free throw line, which Tom Mizzo has mentioned lately, because they shoot the free throws so well. Illinois is a team who really doesn't shoot free throws well, so Michigan State might be able to win there. Um, Illinois, however, does uh, turn the ball over a decent amount, 20.4%, 281st in the country. But when you look at, the and everyone knows, I'm a Ken Palm nerd, but um, when you look at the side-by-side of these two Ken Palm team pages, the red numbers match up in, in the turnover category, and that's a good thing for Illinois because not only do they turn the ball over a lot, and that's something you can focus on fixing in, in a game against Michigan State, but Michigan State does not force any turnovers. Out of 363 Division One teams, they're 354th in forcing turnovers. They just haven't done it this year. They've cut their own turnovers, which is a good thing to go along with it. But by the same token, they're not getting steals. They're not forcing a lot of live turnovers of any turnovers that they are forcing. That is a good thing for an Illinois team who is playing on their home floor. The The best way you pick up wins on the road in the Big Ten, it seems like, is forcing your opponent to make some turnovers and some bad decisions. And 
they just haven't done it a whole lot this year. They're going to have to change that tomorrow night. And I think t- just hitting on the turnovers for Illinois, you look at their per game, almost 15 a game, just over 14 and a half, which seems like a lot. But then they're forcing almost 16 a night. And that's what I said about kind of not shooting themselves in the foot. Despite the fact that Illinois is a team that likes to play fast and they may turn it over, they could very well literally in the same possession turn it right back over and get that possession back. So, you know, Michigan State's going to have to find a way to take care of the ball. But then as you touched on, Brendan, you got it. Illinois is going to turn the ball over. Like, you're going to have to play into that and make them make those mistakes. But then you have to be so careful not to then immediately play right into their trap and give it right back to them and let them get out on the break. All right. Let's uh, get into our predictions for this Illinois game. We're also going to sneak in our predictions for Purdue because this is the last episode that we'll get before that matchup. But we're going to break that one down in more depth uh, rather than previewing it here. We'll try to get this uh, next episode out to you next Friday. Um, Illinois, Luca, what happens at the State Farm Center tomorrow night? I think Michigan State loses against Illinois, uh, it, but it will be gritty. It's going to go down to the last final minutes. Uh, I just think Illinois is going – I just think Michigan State's not going to have the same luck that they did against Wisconsin in this situation. You got a score for me? I, honestly, I could the score I couldn't tell you because it could either be a very low-scoring game where everybody just doesn't want to make a shot or it could be insanely high I need. I need a number. We're coming back to this next episode. Five-point game, ten-point game. Don't even need the exact score. Just, like, point of margin. Illinois by how many? Illinois by at least uh, eight. Okay. Michael? I think they win. I do. Um, I think this is going to be a game a lot more similar to the Michigan game than you saw against some of the other teams earlier. I think it's going to be low-scoring. I think it's going to be a grind-em-out type game. But I think – I just think – Michigan State's a little better than Illinois, and I think they're going to have the players to step up, and I think they're going to make the big plays down the stretch once again. I'll say uh, Michigan State 63-58 to uh, tomorrow night. Is that the Ken Palm prediction as well, I believe? I I promise you I did not look no, at Ken it, Actually, Ken Palm has <laughs> Illinois winning this game. They don't respect Michigan State in the efficiency uh, category, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, I'll take Michigan um, State by five with some free throws late to cap it off. Yeah, Michael, I'm kind of in your spot, too, where this run is going to come to an end for Michigan State, yeah. and I'm not entirely convinced it's in the next two games. I, I see a world where they beat Illinois and Purdue. Um, they're going to have a disappointment game yeah. where this win streak ends, but they have not shown me anything yet to make me believe that it's going to happen anytime soon. Illinois, I think, has just been too inconsistent at the start of the year for me to convincingly give them the win on their home floor. From what I have seen, Michigan State is better than Illinois. I would say by like eight points right now. Give Illinois three or four for being at home. I've got Michigan State 65, Illinois 61 tomorrow night in Champaign. Spartans continue their win streak, move it to eight. We're not going to be on the call for that one, but we, we will be here MLK Day, Monday against Purdue. 2.30 is the tip. 2 o'clock is the Impact Is Own pregame show with Michael and I. Luca's going to be there writing and tweeting. Sarah's going to have pictures if possible. We're going to do everything we can. Uh, it's going to be a big game against Purdue. Always fun to have MLK Day basketball as well. I think that's a good tradition. Yeah, no, also, shout out to Sarah for those amazing pictures against the game. She's against been Michigan. fantastic. Phenomenal. Like, we did those halftime pictures updates, and it was that was a hit. 
If our listeners don't know the name Sarah Smith, go look it up right now on Instagram and Twitter. She's all over our WDBM Sports account on Twitter, at WDBM Sports. Absolutely fantastic. She's been taking so many pictures for us this year. Jack Moreland as well took a lot of football pictures, some over the break, men's and women's basketball. They make our content look so pretty, and then it gets your attention as a viewer, and then you look at our content, and everybody's happy, right? So hopefully that can happen again against Purdue. But for Luca and Michael, I'm Brendan Shabbat. Thank you for listening to the Impact Is Own on WDBM.